Help, I got a Mac podcast, episode number 25. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Help, I Got a Mac podcast. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft. And I'm Chris Biting. And we are back once again to answer all of your questions and concerns and maybe all to maybe push you over the edge of becoming a Mac switcher. If you- Cliff, it's good to have you back. You know, I am so glad to be back. I was a little bit jealous. You, you did such an awesome job last week flying solo, by the way. And I started to get a little nervous thinking, oh, he's doing too good on his own there. I'm, I'm kind of concerned. <laughs> I was just waiting for that first email. It's like, you know, Chris really does a good job without you. <laughs> <laughs> so ser- no, seriously, you did an awesome job. And uh, I just want to say that the the content was good. It was rich. And and to be able to carry on a show without a co-host when you're used to doing a particular show with a co-host it is a lot of work, and, and you pulled yeah. it off well. I just want to say that. Thank you very much. Very cool. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, really, I'm really excited to cover. I, I, I want to go back and talk about just the two, two things you mentioned last week. Sure. And, and then kind of go into any new content you have for us this week, if we can. Absolutely. All right. The first thing I want to talk about is this what was it called the hackintosh or this is it open computer i I, i'm kind of confused what is this thing called it's uh well it that let's first take a step back the hackintosh is first off it's a website and then there's it's also kind of what everybody's been calling a standard intel based pc that has mac os 10 on it but it's been hacked in such a way so it runs gotcha now, I have been listening to some other Mac podcasts in preparation for this one so that I could kind of get a feel from what some other people are saying about this. Because mm-hmm. last week when I heard you talking about it, and I, it's like, you know, I heard that this company came out, they built a system that would be able to run Mac OS. And, and when I heard the price, I'm like, well, duh, I would love one of those. That just makes yeah. perfect sense. I, you know, if even I could get one before they shut them down. But I, I, but the thing is, is that's not necessarily the case, is it? No, the thing is, is, is really this, this all may be just a giant scam, right? Um, or a hoax or whatever. It's, you know, I, I, I would, I would want to spend money on, on this. Oh, at first it was called open Mac and now it's called open PC or something like that. And, you know, I would want to get as a user, I wouldn't want to get one. And then, you know, when, uh, Mac, uh, you know, there's an update to the, uh, to OS 10 and then all of a sudden this open Mac or whatever doesn't work. That is the big concern right there. So if anybody was really considering this thought of buying one of these um, hacked PCs that would run a Mac, the, the, the thing is, is that obviously what they, what Apple could do is simply re- find out what it is that they did to make it work on their non Apple hardware and in right. the next software release, simply re- release something in the patch that breaks every single one of those machines. Exactly. So it, you, it's just it's just like with getting the iPhone, you know, the the jailbroken iPhone and all that kind of stuff. It's just like that. It's, it would be a it would be a constant cat and mouse game. Right. Now the thing is, of course, is what if you buy one of these systems and you just decide, hey, I'm never going to update. Yeah, but the. To me, that's just kind of a waste to do that, you know? It's it, like... It is. It is. But, you know, the, the thing is, of course, that the hardware is 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 so much cheaper when somebody goes and buys all this other stuff. But then, of course, you come into the question of stability. One of the reasons why I believe the Mac is a preferred platform versus Vista is what I will agree... I think everybody would agree, for, agree to for the most part. Uh, is because it is so stable. And one of the reasons it's so stable is because it doesn't have to worry about all these driver issues that I have had to deal with from day one of having a Windows PC. You yeah. know, the, the the operating system on the PC side of things is is made to do certain things, but it has to be able to be compatible or work with an unlimited number of pieces of hardware. And so it's up to the 
hardware manufacturer to make sure that they write uh, software that makes their hardware speak to the Windows operating system just the way it's supposed to. And right, if- and that's and that's why we see uh, you know the we don't see as many things like blue you know quote unquote blue screens of death type crashes and stuff on a Mac because they're writing for a finite amount of hardware. Exactly. You know, and the fact that Windows even runs is amazing, really. You know, and it is. And, and, and honestly, I'm not going to put Windows down because it has, it has stood the test of time. And I'm not completely going to, to abandon Windows XP. In fact, I heard recently that they're going to extend the amount of time that they will make Windows XP available uh, recently. I, I don't know if that's a rumor, but I've heard it. But uh, but yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and that's one of the things is that you know Mac hardware is built for the Mac OS, and the OS is built for that, like you said, a finite amount of hardware. It's yeah. all system checked. It's all it, it's all bug checked. It's ready to go. And when you buy, you buy with confidence, knowing that the the people who developed the software know for a fact that it works with the hardware that you will be using. That is something Windows, the operating system department, could never, ever tell you because they no, have and, no yeah. clue what you're going to use. Exactly. And the other thing is that when OS X was developed, Apple drew a hard line in the sand and said, look, we're going to give you some, compati- some backwards compatibility in the quote-unquote classic, which was you know the old OS 9, OS 8, and, and all that stuff from back in the day, and said, look, eventually we're going to stop supporting this, and then you're going to be out of luck. And, you know, we've definitely seen it happen now, now that Classic is not supported anymore with the Intel processor. You know, it's just straight up OS X. Really, Microsoft can't do that. They can't draw a line in the sand and say, look, we're not going to support anything that was running on Windows 95 or Windows 98 or even DOS. You know, we, we've got to support all that stuff because our business customers who buy Windows, who buy a lot of Windows, need that compatibility. You know, there's companies that are still running, you know, software that was written, you know, 13 years ago. Right. And the, the only thing is, is I would say, and of course, we the, really, there's no reason for us to go down this debate. But the idea is that, you know, they could draw a line in the sand and say, listen, just get over it. Hire yourself some programmers, rewrite for a new system. But the thing is, is I, you know, it, it's it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to draw, draw that line in the sand. But I right. wonder, is there any repair beyond Vista? Vista? I mean, in my in my estimation, Windows XP was a dream come true on the Windows side of things. Personally. You know what though? I, I, I was at the Windows XP launch party, you know, back in October of two thousand one when Windows came out. I went to you know, Microsoft had all these big parties in, in all the bigger cities and Cincinnati was one of them. And man, when we first got our copy of Windows XP, it was buggy. It had tons of security issues. It was, you know, I wanted to go back to ninety eight. Really? So I think we kind of forget how XP was, you know, Think about it. it. This operating system is seven years old, and I know we're kind of sounding like you know, help. I got Windows, but you know, <laughs> we, we kind of need to talk where people are right now before they move to the Mac. And you know, if you're using XP, it's great, but but also remember, it's got seven years of patching and and fixes and stuff with it too. Yeah. Well, hopefully by the time four or five years runs around on the Vista, maybe they'll have it up and running, and I might buy a system with it. I don't <laughs> by know. By then, we'll have uh, Mac. Uh, OS X one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, I, some other things that we're going to talk about here tonight. Um, the one of the things that I noted that came out, and I really have no idea what it's all about. Apple sends me these emails. Do they send you emails every like every other week or so? Uh, yeah, Maybe yeah, once just, a week. Just to remind me that if I want to spend money with them, you know, they're they're fully capable to accept it. Gotcha. Well, in one of my emails. I get this thing that says, hey, get this. We've just released this brand new software, Final Cut Server. So yes. tell me what is Final Cut Server. <laughs> you're, you, you are, uh, you're making me, uh, you know, you're putting me on a spot here. No, uh, Final Cut Server, when, when you have Final Cut Pro and you're dealing with, you know, make, let's say you're cutting a movie or you're cutting a bunch of TV shows and things like that. Final Cut Server helps facilitate all those media clips and things like that that, uh, that you have because, as, as you know, people who use you know, edit video, that stuff really, really 
builds up fast. It takes up a lot of data, and it's hard to kind of catalog that and search all that. And what Final Cut Server does is it helps you find video assets. You know, it uses kind of a spotlight technology so you can find things. It also automates tasks. So if you're you know doing the same thing over and over and over again, it'll, it'll help you move processes automatically and stuff. Normal user is never, ever going to use this kind of stuff. But okay. if, if you have a big production house and you have hours and hours and hours and hours of footage cataloged, um, you can use the spotlight, you know, technology to, to find those those clips and stuff. Gotcha. Hey, uh, so the one thing I wonder is, so this Final Cut server, it is made for people who are using like Final Cut video editing. Is that right? Yeah, Final Cut Studio. Okay. Know. So, so, so it is because, because one of the things that I, it, it wasn't quite clear that that's exactly what this was. It seemed in the description that as I was reading it, there was more to this. It was more of a asset mess man, manager of just about everything, not just video fe- media files. And it seemed to me like, wow, wh- why would they call it final cut anything? And why couldn't they figure out something other than final cut? Because now, you know, one of the things that I've always loved about the Mac is how easy they they make things with their naming of of items and stuff like that. For example, you have Windows Vista Basic Premium Vista Basic Home Basic. I mean, who knows what those things are? And yeah. now all of a sudden you come over here and now you've got Final Cut Express, Final Cut Pro, Final Cut Studio, and now you've got Final Cut Server. Now, well, if fi- you- Final Cut Studio has it's basically. Think of Final Cut Studio as like Microsoft Office, right. where you have Word and you have Excel and you have PowerPoint and all that stuff. Uh, Final Cut Studio has Final Cut Pro, which is you know the editing software. It's got a Soundtrack Pro. It's got Motion, which does like motion graphics. Color, which does uh, you can tweak your color and stuff on video. Compressor, and then DVD Studio Four. Right. So, so Final Cut was the, you know, it used to be just Final Cut was by itself and then Motion was by itself and all this, that, and the other. They combined all those in the Final Cut studio. Exactly. And and I was able to follow up to that point and make it pretty clear cut, easy to understand. But all of a sudden they come out and they release a brand new piece of software called Final Cut Server. And yeah. so I'm thinking, okay, if I'm just following the logical line of of understanding of what this might mean is like oh wow this is cool it sounds to me like this might be a version of final cut studio that i could put on my server and access easily via the network on using any computer that's hooked up to that server network no it's a little misleading that's that's what i'm that's the whole point i'm getting it is no i don't i i don't think that you know i mean i how am i gonna word this I think Apple may come out with some kind of home file server type thing, just like uh, Microsoft has that uh, Windows Home server. We may see something like that from from Apple. I doubt it, but you know, we could. And, and I think that's kind of what you're wanting is something a, a centralized computer that'll hold all your no, iLife stuff. No, I, I'm not looking for that. I, all I'm saying is that when I saw Final Cut Server, it's like, oh wow, that sounds like an awesome idea. And then I started reading the description, and it's like, oh, that's not what this is. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, and 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 what I don't understand is that okay. So I let's just say if I have Final Cut and I'm doing all this other editing and video stuff, video work, why can't I just archive it all to one you know, or different various uh, external drives, firewire drives? No idea. Yeah, I it just it, I saw it come in on the email and, you you know, they sent all I'm saying is they send this out as a marketing material via email to their consumer grade clients, which I, is exactly what I am. I'm a consumer grade client when it comes yeah. to Mac software and they say Final Cut s- server and they completely blew me away is the first time I really was clueless about what Mac is communicating to me here. Yeah, yeah, I, did, I don't know why they didn't send that just to the you know the enterprise and pro customers. So yeah, I'm not sure unless I happen to be on one of those lists, but I don't think I would be. I mean, I, I didn't. You could be. I I didn't buy or sign up for anything that would generate that. I, I think the only thing I did was buy my MacBook, and so anyway. So one other question I have, and then we'll get to whatever it is that uh, you were. 
uh, mentioning or what you have planned for tonight. That is okay. So this Hackintosh thing going back, I know I'm going back and forth. So so this Hackintosh thing, the problem with that is that, you know, they could release a patch update and then all of a sudden it doesn't work. So tell me, I I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to ask it. What's the difference between that and a mod book? Well, the mod book is actually using Apple hardware. It's actually taking a Mac, a white MacBook. Okay. Lobbing the screen off of it. You know, t- taking taking the screen out, taking the top case, which includes the keyboard and the mouse, you know, the, the trackpad and all that stuff, taking that off and actually putting a, a, a Wacom, custom Wacom tablet with the screen built in. Gotcha. And and the thing is, is Apple actually has given the people, Axum or whoever they are that make the mod book, has, they've actually given them permission to do this. They're considered an uh, Apple proprietary solution provider. So they've, they've made a deal with Apple that, you know, we're not going to sue the crap out of you for making and selling this. So they, okay, so they did license the hardware from Apple then. It's not really licensing the hardware. They're actually buying a, a MacBook and still using the MacBook motherboard and the and the, the bottom of the case. It, it's just like if you took your MacBook and took it apart, you took the screen off and you took the keyboard, like you know that that whole top case that. Sure. Yeah, taking that off and then just sl- slapping that down and and then tighten it all back up. Okay, so here <laughs> this, I'm sorry. This is I know this means absolutely nothing to nobody, but I'm just con- I'm, I'm just wondering. So. Why in the world would they do? I mean, I understand that they're, they feel like there's this, but it, I mean, I'm just a magic. Is there a big, huge, gigantic pile of keyboards and MacBook screens <laughs> outside the back? Well, I mean, are they are they reselling them? Is that what they're doing? You know what? I would I would think they're probably reselling them to a company like iFixit.com, who does. Uh, you know, if you if you are if you've got enough guts to, um, you know, to replace your keyboard and your screen and stuff. You know, if you go to like iFixit.com, you can buy that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're selling them or uh, they've got a deal with other world computing. Uh, if you go to, you know, MacSales.com and um, they've got a deal with the exclusive distributor of, of, of the mod book. So they could be using the screens for, you know, third party, uh, you know, repairs and stuff like that. Excellent. Alrighty, well, let's get into some of the things that you have for tonight, and uh, then we'll go into some announcements that we have as well. But what what do you have on here? It looks like you got some news about the iPhoto book sale. Yeah, um, a lot of people uh, who just got their Mac, you know, they're using iLife, with, which comes with iPhoto, uh, iMovie, iTunes, iDVD, GarageBand. You know, they're using this stuff. They love it. They got a digital camera. They're loving that, and they're putting all their stuff on iPhoto. One of the great things you can do with iPhoto that you may or may not know is you can create books. You can create a hardcover book of your pictures or a softcover book of your pictures, and it's got these really, really cool templates in it where you can lay out your photos in neat ways and, and uh, all that cool stuff. Or you can print a calendar or you know, little flip books or even cards and postcards. So you can and actually create a full-color, glossy, nice, hardbound book. Absolutely. We, uh, my, my wife and I, um, we... The, the photographer that we used uh, ended up giving us, we, we got a deal with him. We, we, we got the, the rights to use the pictures however we want. And he gave us, you know, a DVD of all the pictures uncompressed, right? So we were able to take those pictures, put them in iPhoto. And then my wife, who honestly, you know, really never really used iPhoto. And, and she's not a, a computer person. She uses a computer, but she's not like, you know, like, she's not like me, like a big giant nerd. And um, she actually put the uh she put the book together you know using all the photos and then printed it out and we have this really really nice you know cloth bound hardcover book with these you know full-size pictures it's awesome so so you click on these buttons i guess do i mean does apple have some kind of arrangement with a a, a third-party vendor that creates these for you is that how that yeah, works? yeah i'm not really sure who they use but uh but normally these books, these books are kind of expensive. We, I think our book was about 50 bucks or so. But, you know, it was a lot of photos from our wedding. But right now, uh, a, a great, you know, a great gift for Mother's Day, you know, a bunch of pictures of the family or of, you know, if you have kids or, you know, grandkids or whatever is, is these iPhoto books. 
And right now, uh, Apple's giving you 20% off the iPhoto books. And what you have to do is use a promo code of LOVEMOM at checkout. And it's just a really, really neat gift that a lot of people don't realize that iPhoto can do. And right now, you know, for Mother's Day, you can get, you can get a couple bucks off of them. We're, you know, we're not, obviously, we're not sponsored by Apple or anything like that. So we're not making a buck off this yeah, thing. Yeah, this is not a sponsorship message or anything like that. No, it's just that I... I really thought it was a good idea, and a lot of people don't know that they can make these books, and you know why not save twenty percent? Absolutely, it's very cool. So that that's good to know that you can do that with i iPhoto. I I did not even know that, and I quit using iPhoto altogether because <laughs> I prefer to deal with my pictures on Flickr. Yeah, and I think Flickr can do books too. Possibly, maybe I think. I know Smug Mug can. There's a couple sites that that can do this. I know you can go through uh, Snapfish; they can order books and stuff, but. I'll tell you from experience, the iPhoto books look fantastic. You know, they're not they're not cheap, but they're not really really expensive. You know, for what you're getting, you're getting this really really nice book. So, and you can make calendars. So, you know, if someone's let's say it was your birthday, Cliff, and instead of having you know whenever your birthday is, uh, the the date you know instead of the date being there, a picture of you is there, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Well, yeah. well, hey, let's go to some listener feedback. I, I think we have two calls in. Uh, I think this is going to be our official first call for Help Our Got a Mac from Belgium. Hey, Cliff and Chris. This is Winnie from Belgium. Um, I have a question about iTunes. I used to collect music videos and have about 50 gigabytes of them. I'd like to take some of them with me on my iPod, but they can't all fit on it. Is there a way to only copy a few of them? Thanks a bunch. Bye. Alrighty, so Chris, this is a question regarding using iTunes to be able to only take certain music videos that she wants to carry along with her. Right, and this has to do with uh, the ability to auto-sync or not with your iPod. So what you want to do is when you do have your iPod connected to iTunes, if you in the left-hand side, you'll see the library and the store and all the playlists and stuff. Well, when you plug your iPod in there, under you'll see a, a thing come up under Devices, and it'll show your, your iPod there. Well, if you click on the actual iPod itself, it'll bring up, in the main window in the center of iTunes, it'll bring up you know a picture of your iPod, and it'll show you how much space you have and things like that. Well, also listed there are Tabs. Yep, and and those tabs you can select. You know, there's music, and I'm and I'm going from memory on this. There's music, video, podcasts, audiobooks, photos. You know, all that kind of stuff. If you go to videos, you have an option to sync, and I believe by default there's it, it, to, to sync all of them manually or not sync them. You can go in there and using little check boxes actually decide which specific videos you want to sync to the iPod. Okay, so just to make sure I'm tracking with you here because I I was going to just quickly respond to her via email and chose to instead go ahead and look into this or to wait until we talked because here's the situation. I believe if I'm not mistaken, I have a music video. Let's see, we have changed to let me hit cancel here. I believe I have a music video that I have on my iPhone phone or on my iTunes and I'm looking for it right now and you know what sure enough I actually ended up deleting it so I I wasn't able to do this so anyway let me tell you what I got here if I click on my iPhone and the same would be true if you have a video iPod you click on the video tab and it only shows it's got rented movies TV shows and movies there's nothing that says music videos well those are going to be considered just normal videos under tv shows or or i've never bought a music video to be quite honest with you but if it's stuff that she's downloaded and put on there herself Uh it's probably going to be under movies because that's where it kind of defaults all the video that sounds good to me so basically in essence what you have to do is is click sync movies and then um you you actually have to check mark which one you want to sync over to your ipod it's um, and, and of course, then then there is the TV shows is where you can actually choose the, you know, the most recent three or something of that nature. Exactly. But on, and, but on movies, you do have to physically check the ones that you want. And that's probably where your music videos are going to be then. Right. And it's just generally because the movies are so big that, you know, it it. it is pretty sure you're not going to want to sync those automatically, especially if you have, you know, like you and I have four gig, you know, iPhone. We can't fit that that much stuff in there. So absolutely. 
In fact, I will tell you folks, if you get an iPhone, go with the highest amount available as far as space. Because yes. I am quite frustrated with my four gigs now. <laughs> I call it the limited edition Phil Schiller iPhone, which is awesome. Yes. For those who don't know Phil Schiller, Phil Schiller is the like the VP of marketing for Apple. And he's got this really, really awesome mullet and it's just beautiful and puffy and it's like he plays it looks like he plays hockey. It's just that guy's cool. So I kind of make fun of of uh Yeah. I make fun of Phil Schiller. <laughs> cool. So uh, what else do we have this week? Oh, we have one more caller, don't we? We do. We do. We do. So let's see who this is on line two. Hi, Chris and Cliff. This is Vinny. I'm not a Mac switcher. I'm more a stuck-in-the-middler. I enjoy using the Mac, and I love having one at home, but unfortunately all of my work requires me to use a Windows-based PC. In any case, I wanted to contact you and let you know that I was so glad that you brought up Evernote. I had a tablet PC for a while, and I fell in love with Evernote then, and now that it's dual platform, I'm thinking, I'm going right back. I went in, and I got in on the beta, and I'm loving every minute of it. So thanks for bringing that out to the community. I think a lot of people are going to find it suits their needs. Thank you very much for that, Vinny. I'm glad you are enjoying Evernote. And the more I get in there and play with it, the more I enjoy it as well. Still haven't completely 100, excuse me, 100% uh, completely switched over to relying upon it for some information. But I will tell you this. I bro- I have purchased some, some uh, whiteboards, white er- dry erase boards, and I keep all my to-do lists and stuff like that on there. And what I've been doing is I've been taking a picture using my iPhone of the whiteboard whenever I put some very important information on there. And then I take that photo and I email it to my Evernote account. And it, of course, stores it. And I love it because I am really shocked at how great the uh, optical character recognition really is from photos. Even from a very low quality, very poorly lit photo taken of a dry erase board with my handwriting i'm able to go in and search words that i wrote on my dry erase board and have it pull it right up that is pretty cool you know you gave me that you gave me that uh that invite i still have not had a chance to to go in there and try it i'm gonna have to do that today or uh tomorrow or something it's something i'd like to show my boss because we we take pictures of whiteboards quite a bit yep you know after after a, a brainstorming session and then, you know, someone's got to go in there and look at it and try to figure out what all that was. So if it does character recognition as good as you say it does, man, that's pretty awesome. Well, and of course, it depends on your handwriting as well. But I mean, I, I, I when I'm writing on my board, I, I take some good care to to try to do as best as I can to, to make it recognizable uh, so that I have it later. And just so you know, I had them give me a huge, gigantic ton of blocks, a ton of uh, invites. And I still have 34 invites for Evernote available. So if you want to email me at cliff at gspn.tv, I will certainly get you an invite, uh, at least for the next 34 people who ask anyway. <laughs> cool. That's sweet, man. Hopefully my invite is still valid. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it should be. It should be no problem cool. at all. So what else do we oh, have? You know what? I, I, actually, I just want to mention something real quick. Did you know, and this is, this is just general tech, but I thought it was interesting enough. Uh, for us to talk about it real quick, that AT&T just uh, released the web browser. It's in private beta right now. Um, it's called Pogo. Okay. Why? I just thought it was... I have no idea. <laughs> it's based after Mozilla. So, I mean, you know, and, and this actually can transition to uh, a, one of my software recommendations is that... Um, yeah, just I just want to throw that out there that it's called Pogo browser and so so is this you know, for whatever. the for the PC or for the iPhone? For the PC. Okay, so this is a another browser for the for the computer. Now, is there a Mac version of this as well? Not that I'm aware of, but it is based off of Mozilla, so you know there are there are Mozilla slash Firefox derivative you know browsers that do work on a Mac, and this is where I do my super cool. Um, segue into uh, a software recommendation I've got tonight. All right. Well, let's tell us all about it. Well, as you know, most people on a Mac are using Safari or they're using Firefox, right? You know, those are the, the, the two big ones. And there's also Opera and stuff like that. But one browser that people forget about is one called Camino. And uh, Camino 1.6 just came out. 
and uh, it's got you know it's got new some new features and some features that have been updated, and uh, it's built off the same code base as Mozilla, but it's tweaked specifically for the Mac. You know, it doesn't really share any of the code base of Firefox or anything. It's it's written just for the Mac. And uh, if you go to Camino, it's C-A-M-I-N-O, browser.org, you can see this. It's a great program. I used to use it all the time back in, back you know, when I first became a Mac user because it was just the fastest web browser out there. Hmm. But uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I would definitely give it a look at. Um, the one thing I will let you know is it doesn't, if you are a Firefox user who uses extensions, which a lot of people do, I, I'm not one to use extensions. I'm just weird like that. Um, it does not support extensions, I believe. All right. So, but if you just want a super fast web browser that's really, really good, Camino is one to get. All righty. Very cool. Well, being that I, we're talking about browsers, I'll go ahead and tell you that I'm still in love with Firefox, even though if you have you know as many browsers or as many tabs open as I normally like to open, it, it can get a little buggy at times. Uh, there is a plugin I certainly 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 believe everybody should have and it's been around forever i've heard about it from so many people never once did i ever think that i would i would love it as much as i do and it is called fox marks have fox you marks yes fox marks bookmark synchronizer oh okay that's pretty cool yeah i'm well, looking at that right now let me tell you about this okay because i have been i have I quit using the favorites list and the bookmark feature on browsers long, long ago. And the reason why is because, you know, I I hated to be tied to one computer where all of my my bookmarks are. So, I mean, I even went so far as to one time I had a, I created a WordPress installation just to use the sidebar menu as my links, as my homepage. And then, of course, they started coming out with all these uh, customizable home pages where you could put books bookmarks and you could sign in and that could be your home page for every browser right yeah so, what about using delicious do you ever use delicious i you know i don't like delicious i just don't like the look of it 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 just is it i tell you i i think it's just the way that my brain looks it it has to be visually appealing for me to use a site and delicious yeah. just is not mm-hmm it, it just is. It's not. So it, so, is, it is pretty minimal. Yeah. And so I was using Google homepage for a long time for my homepage, basically so I would have a standard list of bookmarks that I would use. And then I would I switched over to NetVibes, which I'm still using NetVibes for some stuff. But I, you know, I, I was still like, I don't know. However, one thing that is one thing that I have loved about the Mac is that when I switch, I honestly believe this. Okay, I'm going to tell you this straight up right now. Tell me, I enjoy being a Mac user because of Firefox. I wonder. Okay. I wonder. Now this is completely hypothetical because I don't know what the answer would be because this it's just not true. But okay. I wonder if I would enjoy being a Mac user if they did not have Firefox on the Mac. Now, they have Firefox on PCs and on Linux. I mean, what 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 what's the difference <laughs> using Firefox on those than using Firefox on the Mac? Here, here's why: because Firefox was that one program that that made me feel at home when I switched to the Mac. Okay, because so so when I when I installed Firefox on my MacBook, I felt as of course, let me tell you, ninety-five percent of my computer experience is mm-hmm. using Firefox, is using the web browser. Right. And so, for me to switch over to the Mac, the the best thing was is that my experience using a Firefox browser on the Mac was almost virtually the same as using Firefox on the PC. Yeah. And now I do use a few plugins. And and those plug-in extensions that allow me to do some of the neat little things, such as my download status bar. My my when I download a file, it looks the same as when I download a file on the PC as it does when I do it on a Mac. It's it's the same user experience for me. I love that because I, I use the download status bar plugin. Yeah. Um, and so there there are these little tiny things that I love. And so that was the one thing that I, I really loved about it. And here's the other thing I love is that well now there's Firefox on my MacBook. There's Firefox on my GSPN 
studio computer. Obviously, when my wife got her laptop, uh, which is an XP-based machine, uh, I installed Firefox on her system. Now, because all of our systems use Firefox, and my wife and I use pretty much the same bookmarks, but we don't, here, here's, here was the drawback to having a NetVibes account, okay? Mm-hmm. NetVibes. I know, I know you were big on NetVibes for a while. I, and, and I still like NetVibes, but not for my bookmarks anymore. And here's why, because Foxmarks took over. The situation is this. I would sign in to, her, I would sign into NetVibes but then she would sign into NetVibes on her account. Now, her account on NetVibes on her computer didn't have my bookmarks. So when I went to go use her computer and I wanted my bookmarks, guess what I had to do? I had to sign out of NetVibes off of her account and sign in using my NetVibes account. Yeah. I hated that. So in, es- in essence, what happened is somebody's like, oh, man, I really love this latest release of Foxmarks. So I went and tr- checked it out. Sure enough, I switched all of my bookmarks off of NetVibes and put them into my Firefox. And then I signed up for a Foxmarks account to synchronize, and it synchronized it all to the net. And get this, I went and installed the Foxmarks plugin on all of my other browsers, signed in using my same username and password. And now every computer in this house all has the same bookmarks. If I find something today and I bookmark it, it's not only on my PC, it's on Stephanie's laptop upstairs, it's over here. And here's the coolest thing is if you go to, I think it's foxmarks.com, yeah. and you, you can sign in via the web anywhere. So you can still go anywhere, just like you would to go sign into NetVibes, but on the computers I use all the time, I still have those bookmarks, and they're native, and they're there all the time. I don't have to go back to that first tab where I keep my quote-unquote homepage open all day long, my bookmarks are always right in front of me now. Remember, you? I think it was you or maybe it was Rob, our good friend Rob, that said that he he never leaves his, his tabs open. He only, I mean, at most he's using two tabs at a time. But what's nice is now I have these things all nice and organized. It's amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I still keep it real. I still use Safari. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and there there are some plugins you can get for Safari. It's called uh, if you go to uh, pimpmysafari.com. Pimpmysafari.com. Yeah. I like there's that. There's some there, there's some unofficial uh, Safari plugins. You know, because Safari really isn't a plugin enabled browser. But man, I just I just you know I I used to be huge on Firefox when I worked at uh, my old company. Uh, when I had to use a PC, you know, obviously I, I trashed IE6 and went with, straight with uh, Firefox. And, you know, I, use, I used to use Firefox really, really big uh, when I was on Tiger. But now that I've switched back, you know, now that I'm on Leopard, you know, the new Safari is really, really good. Really? Yeah. And I, for a while there, I was using Flock. And Flock is based off Firefox. And it's really like, it's got a lot of social network type stuff baked in. So if you use Flickr a lot or if you use YouTube a lot or if you use, uh, you know, Delicious or, or anything like that, you know, Twitter, it's got all these kind of things that, all these extensions pretty much baked into the whole thing. Um, and that's called Flock. And I think if you, you just do a Google search for Flock browser, you can find it. So. Excellent. Hey, I want to bring up one other thing, and then we'll kind of wind down and do our announcements that I have. And I have plenty of announcements to share, unless you have more to share. Uh, no, I'm good. Okay. It looks like we've covered just about everything. So um, here's the situation. I've said that so many times tonight. I don't know why. But anyway, I love QuickTime for playing videos on my MacBook. And I'm sure you can do this with any program. But I love the fact that when I download a video off the net Mm -hmm. and I open it up, almost any video will work in my QuickTime player. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty yeah. I, I I've tricked out my uh, my QuickTime player. You know, I use a, a program called Perrin, P E R I A N, and that adds a lot of functionality to QuickTime that uh, is not in the box. So if if, if anybody you know was downloaded a file and they can't play it, go to Perrin or do a search for Perrin. It'll add some some extra sauce to your uh, to your QuickTime so it'll play. But yeah, there there is pretty much. I can pretty much play any kind of file type from within QuickTime. Yeah, it, it's pretty sweet. And I have been, I've, I've had some files I got off of BitTorrent that I've been watching. And I love just to hit the Control F to full screen it. And it just looks gorgeous on my, on my MacBook screen. 
I, I have, I actually find myself, of course you have a high, high definition computer or TV at home. I do not. Mm-hmm. So I prefer watching TV and video on my MacBook over my own television. So yeah, it, it's pretty wild stuff. You know what I want? I want to be able to put, uh, I, I, I've, I've been loving Hulu. I think Hulu is a really, really great thing. Thing is though, you know what? I, I don't want to, I'll surf the web while watching TV my wife can uh, can uh, chime in on that one, um, but if I could watch Hulu on my on my big TV, that would be awesome because there you know there's some shows that I've missed, you know that I that I want to watch or there's past episodes of shows that have been canceled or you know are long gone that I wouldn't mind watching again. And with Hulu, you can really really do that, especially if you know if it's an NBC or a Fox show. There's also full length movies on there too, but. Just short of, of getting a Mac Mini and hooking it up, there's really nothing I can do uh, to watch Hulu on my on my TV. And what I really want is that there's kind of a, a little bit of an underground hacker community for the Apple TV. And I really, really want someone. And if anybody who listens to this who hacks on Apple TVs, I would love you forever. If you made a Hulu hack for my Apple TV. A Hulu hack. That sounds, a Hulu hack. That sounds really cool. Hey, the question I have for you is on your... If I had if I had downloaded an AVI file of a of a TV show, is that something that will play through my Apple TV if I had one? No. Uh, the, well, first off, AVIs are container files. You know, it, an AVI could be encoded with a, a multitude of codecs. Okay. You know, it could be DivX or it could be uh, you know whatever. Um, your best bet is to spend twenty three dollars and thirty two cents and get a program called Visual, Visual Hub. Hub. <laughs> which is the and actually a uh, funny I'm, that we just mentioned Visual Hub. Visual Hub, if you if you acquire video off the internet, you know, I'm not. I'm, that's all. That's all I'm going to say. Legal okay. video, obviously. Um, if if you acquire video off the internet, um, and it's in a format that's not going to play on your iPod or not going to play on you know an Apple TV or an Xbox or, or PS3, anything like that, if you go. And do a search for Visual Hub. It's a, it's a program, very cheap, twenty three dollar program, that'll convert any type of video into anything you want. It's like the Swiss Army knife of video conversion, and we use it all the time at work. I work for an ad agency, and they, they, I'm constantly converting video, and this program does it wonderfully. Now they just came out with a brand new program that converts audio, any kind of audio, into any other kind of audio. Excellent. Which is pretty cool too. So you know, go to uh, Visual Hub, do, do a Google search on that, and it, if you if you have any kind of video, if you download video from anywhere and you want to play it on a device that you have, and you have a Mac, Visual Hub is a is a necessary purchase. Yes, it is, and and I love Visual Hub. It's it's probably the best software purchase I've made for the Mac. Without and a it's doubt. cheap, you Without know, it's, it's it's under twenty five dollars. So right. So hey, I have some announcements if you don't mind. Uh, quite a few of them actually. The, fir- sure. the first thing I want to mention is that as a podcaster, one of the most frequent questions I get is, how do I create my own podcast? And, you know, and of course, I get a myriad of questions that, that go along with that, you know, specifics about podcasting. And as you know, Chris, January 1st of this year, I left my career in insurance to pursue podcasting and new media full time. Did you really? I did. And so obviously I've been doing a lot of consulting work for individuals and companies and it's been going extremely well. And, and from the very beginning, one of the things I've been wanting to do as a, as one of my streams of income is to tar- is to teach classes on podcasting or online webinars, uh, sure. on- online seminars so that I can teach these people out there who want to learn at a low cost, basically bringing together a whole group of people who would be willing to learn at the same time so that I can maximize my time in teaching the basics of podcasting and some of the more advanced things as far as in the sessions go. And so that's been a, that I, I've been dreaming of doing these webinars and I'm launching my very first webinar tomorrow night, which by the time most people re- listen to this, it may even be tonight. So it's Tuesday, April 22nd, 2008. I'm going to be doing my very first webinar, webinar which is going to be Podcasting 101. It is going to be designed for the new podcaster, but I can 
I can tell you with all certainty that if you have been a longtime podcaster, uh, there is a lot that you can come and, and add and bring into this session and you will probably gain quite a bit of insight because I've done some consulting work for people who have been podcasters for months and if not years and they'll, they'll still say, hey Cliff, I need to know how you did this. And the nice thing about this seminar, it's three hours long from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock uh, Eastern time. Mm-hmm. And if they join, uh, the first half of the seminar is going to be scripted. It's going to be like me sharing the basics of podcasting with people can ask as many questions through that process as they want. But the second half of that seminar is completely determined based upon the questions that people want to ask who are the participants of the group. So if you're going to get a whole flavor of advanced and intermediate and beginner type of questions throughout that second session of the seminar. And what's cool is I'm going to be doing a lot of these seminars and no two seminars are going to be the same. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the really great thing I've, I've been to, to Cliff's home studio and it's, it's impressive. The guy's got, you know, a lot of money in the gear that he has. And that's why his shows sound really, really, you know, super awesome you know they, they sound as good as as anybody else who's doing it you know on a full-time professional basis but i, I do want to say and cliff you can back me up on this you know if you don't have a whole lot of money or or you know you, it doesn't take a lot of cash to start making a podcast and it's fa- yeah it's it's amazing in fact that's going to be tomorrow's session the first half is going to be i'm going to show folks how they can actually do everything without it costing a single penny. Obviously, yeah, awesome. also, obviously they're going to pay for the seminar, but I'm talking about the actual process of podcasting. Uh, as long as they have a computer and they already have a microphone, they have everything they need financially to create and sustain a podcast. Now, and, that, and that's the thing, and it's it's yeah. It, I'm not going to add any more because I don't want to. I don't want to you know go into anything that you're going to talk about uh, at the seminar, but it's. It's amazing that we that we're it's it's an exciting time that we live in this world where it's very easy for you to create content that that can be listened to by you know anybody in the world. It's exactly. awesome. Exactly, and I'm sure that you have something that you're passionate about that you could find an audience to share and participate in that passion with you, and that's the most awesome thing. That's that's why I love coming here and, and talking with Chris and and sharing in the Mac community because the, you know honestly I started this podcast help I got a Mac. I mean, the title of the show was, I mean, it was, it was a very selfish title. It's like, hey, this is Cliff Ravenscraft. I just got a Mac. Please help me. And that's what this show initially started at. It's like, hey, help. I got a Mac. And, and so what I did is I invited some people from the Mac community to help me understand Mac. And that's what I do here every week. And, and, and as we go along, people learn. And so who, every, I believe everybody has a podcast in them. And so mm-hmm. that's what this session is going to be. It's going to be a three-hour session. I normally charge $95 an hour for podcast consulting work. For this first class, and, and it looks like it's going to be filled up pretty quickly here, I'm, I'm limiting, it, limiting the class to 10 participants for my very first one and already have five people signed up. So there are five seats available as of the time I'm speaking this right now. Now, the thing is, is I know I'm going to do more of them. The, the first one or two or three seminars that I do online, it's going to be a low cost of $75 to just your normal average listener out there. So, mm-hmm. so for $75, you get three hours of my time in podcast consulting along with up to nine other people in the class. But you're going to benefit from their questions that you wouldn't have thought to ask and you'll gain insights from their answers that they get. So I, Absolutely. It, it's, you're gonna, it's, it's all good. And those who are gspn.tv plus members get in for $50. So, oh, yeah, I mean, and, and if the cool thing is this. If you're not a plus member yet and you've been thinking about it, you can become a plus member today and still register at the $50 level. So, that I mean, it, it's it's something that I just wanted to, you know, give people who are plus members the, the ability to get in at a very low, low cost because I want people who are part of the gspn.tv community, I really want to get them podcasting because one of the things I know is that these people all have interesting stories to share, their lives to share, and and passion. So that's really cool stuff. Yeah, and I've tried to do this podcasting stuff um, you know, before. And I, I have a background in, in broadcasting and radio and stuff like that. And really, sure, you can buy a book about it and, and do this and do that, but you know, they're going to recommend 
you know, okay, go out and buy a microphone, go out and do this, go out and do that. And, you know, I know that Cliff's going to show you how to do it without, without spending any money. I mean, it's other than for the class. And it's, it's one of those things that once you start doing this, you kind of get bit by the bug. Yep. And the next thing you know, you're, you're quitting your day job and you're producing (laughs) 53 podcasts. No doubt. (laughs) So anyway, that, that, that's one huge announcement. And so if you are interested, go to gspn.tv. That's gspn.tv. There is a link right there on the main page. I will tell you this. As soon as that class gets filled up, if it gets full, I will be setting up a second session uh, right off the bat. And so uh, please email me. If you go to the site and you register and it tells you that that one is full, all you have to do is send me an email, cliff at gspn.tv, and I'll let you know when the next class is. So that is awesome. There are a bunch of other announcements. I won't go into detail like uh, I had on that one. I'll just let you know this weekend I will be in New York City. And on Sunday, we are having a special meetup. We already have seven people who are going to be hanging out uh, on Sunday afternoon, uh, going through New York City, hanging out, having a wonderful picnic in Central Park. Uh, we're having a concert for with Matthew Ebel here in our home in Northern Kentucky on May fifteenth, and we're having a Lost season four premiere part or uh, finale party on May 29th. And we thank Talkshoe for allowing us to do our show live on Talkshoe, and also for providing our bandwidth. And I think if you want to call, if you want us to have an awesome show next week, call in your Mac questions. The phone number area code eight five nine seven nine five. 4067 or you can email your questions to feedback at gspn.tv anything else um (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what else to say oh did did i say i broke 100 people on twitter now now i'm like to like to like 140 something so that's uh twitter.com slash biting b-e-i-t-i-n-g Yep, and you can email me if you have any questions or anything uh, for myself or for the Mac Show. I think my email address with you is chris at gspn.tv. That is correct. It it goes straight to you. All right, folks. Well, that is our show for this week. And uh, Chris, I'm, I'm so glad to be back, man. Dude, it's awesome. It's like Voltron. We've come together and we're, <laughs> we're kicking butt and taking names. Rock on. But I, I, I just want to say thank you again for uh, carrying the torch last week while I was at my daughter's birthday party. She had an awesome party. Three years old now. Man, she's getting up there. Yep. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. We'll be back next week for Help, I Got a Mac. Tell all your friends out there to go to helpigotamac.com. Do it. Oh, bye-bye.